The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's happening, Packer fans? Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast along with the Acme Packing Company. I'm joined once again by the one and only Justice Mosqueda. You can follow him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Check out all of his work at acmepackingcompany.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can find me at the Pack a Day podcast as well as over on Packer Reports. Justice, not what we were hoping for slash expecting, I don't think at least, uh, going into Vegas. We've all had that night in Vegas. It happens to the best of us. It happened to the Packers on Monday Night Football in front of everyone, unfortunately. I just want to give you the floor. I'll let you go in any direction that you want. What were your biggest takeaways from that disappointing loss to the Las Vegas <laughs> on Monday Night Football? Um, I think the two biggest things were the passing game, right? Yep. And just the fact that some, something's got to happen in the passing game. They, they cannot continue to live in this feast or famine type of manner. And, you know, to be honest, it's been a whole lot of famine. Um, I think, uh, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus tweeted at me, and he had that number where it's like, uh, "I have it with me: six of twenty-four on passes, twenty plus yards downfield, with two interceptions and no touchdowns, and charted as accurate on only five of the twenty-four attempts, third lowest in the NFL." Yeah, so I mean, he's not throwing very many accurate passes deep down the field, and when he's throwing inaccurately, his receivers aren't coming down with with many of them right no. and i think that's uh reflective of what we saw um the christian watson stuff was supposed to open up the passing game and it just turned into m- more tight coverage of shots <laughs> yeah. i i don't think that's what we wanted to see so. No, Matt LaFleur called, uh, I think he called a couple of them 50-50 balls. It would be great if these were 50-50 balls. It would be great, like you said, if it was feast or famine, because there would be some feasting in there. These have just been famine. It's just been, they've been like 10-90 balls, like at best at this yeah. point. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think figuring out from an offensive passing standpoint, I, w- I was kind of talking to Aaron Nagler about this just a little bit, bit ago of like, they can't throw deep and they can't run the ball. And like, if you can't throw deep and you can't run the ball, there's only so much left for you. There's only so much real estate where the defense has to be worried. And it's like, everything's now condensed into that area. And your offense starts looking like a crackerjack offense because you have no faith in running the football. They're not biting on play action and you can't throw the ball deep. And they're not scared of you throwing it deep and they're not scared of you running the football. So it's like, what's left at that point. 
Well, I mean, do you remember the Kansas City game? Oh yeah. They got to moving the ball at the end by just doing RPOs and stuff. And yeah, that's something that we talked about last week. We're that's like, true. What, what do we want to see more of? Like, I, I, I think that's one way to do it. Um, you know, they were able to get under center and run the ball on, you know, they call them like vertical runs. Do that. The, the, the counter stuff, the pin and pull stuff. You're, you're not sustaining blocks long enough to be able yeah. to get away with that type of stuff. And, I don't think you have the guys in the backfield, at least, you know, with the Aaron Jones situation right now um, to really make defenses pay. So, yeah, I mean, get under center, run inside zone. There's no shame in that. I mean, that's what LaFleur, I mean, up until last season when they really started adding the pit and pull stuff, that's all LaFleur really called in the run game was inside zone, outside zone. And, I guess duo, but duo is pretty similar to inside zone. Um, yeah, get get back to the basics. There's no shame in that. This, this, I would like to see an offense that is semi coherent at some point uh, during the season. So, what what do you think? What do you think Matt Lafleur wants this offense to be right now? If you had to, if you were watching this five game series from the Packers through the start of the season. What would you what would be your takeaway of like, all right, this is his vision for the offense? I mean, it's hard not to say deep shots. Yeah. Right. I mean, the frequency that they're calling these things. Um I, I think he wants to throw the long ball, but they're not good at it right now. So adjust for the love of God. Please adjust. Um, yeah, the other yeah. thing I was gonna say is the offensive line, right? I mean, we said you know, Max Crosby is really the only guy that you got to worry about on this Raiders front and all that stuff. I mean, those guys kind of struggled, and I know a lot of that was Max Crosby, um, but sometimes it wasn't, right? And these guys are supposed to be healthy now, right? Um, every Everyone's in the lineup that's going to be in the lineup from here moving forward. Uh, they had the 10 days off or whatever it was. Not, not great, um, and that's something that, you know, you can't really work around, right? I mean, yep. there's not an adjustment to say, you know, more offensive line talent, please. Like, I don't think switching out for Newman um, in the lineup. I mean, maybe you look at Nyman, I guess. I mean, that's one option. Um, but I, I, I see more room for growth um, in the passing game and – you know, just getting back to basics in the run game and adding RPOs and stuff like that than uh, the offensive line issue that they have right now. Yeah, I joked. I don't think, like, you can't just lean on Aaron Jones coming back and making four Raiders defenders miss in the backfield and gaining positive yards out of it. But there is some hope. It's that he can do his usual Aaron Jones magic and get some more positivity in the running game, which then makes it so that maybe defenders – like have to focus on the, you know, like the play action a little bit more and start coming forward a little bit more. Maybe it opens up your, maybe it opens up more RPOs. Maybe it opens up more bootleg action. I, I don't know what it is, but that's the only player you're like really getting back at this point is Aaron Jones, which is a big piece of the offense. No question about it. But when the, this offensive line is not blocking and there's four Raiders in the backfield on the Christian Watson play, there's four on another AJ Dillon play. It's like, Aaron Jones sounds great, but if there's four guys just sitting there waiting for you, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do in that situation. That's going to be all that much different, but 
and this is kind of the offense that they have from here on out. And it's not, there's not going to be a simple solution. They got to play more coherently altogether. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the sport doesn't deal kindly with a bad offensive line. No. Right. Um, and, you know, we've only really seen that for two games, um, but it has now become a trend and you do not want that to become a trend. I mean, the Packers answer seems to be screens. The screens have also not worked. No. <laughs> I'm tired of I'm tired of looking at these screens. Please, for the love of God, run an RPO. Yeah, I, I don't know when we decided to get away to get away from that. I mean, again, the Kansas City game, Love's first start, kind of similar, right? Deep shot, deep shot, deep shot, deep shot, and then the second half of the game, they started being able to move the ball a little bit with the with the help of the RPO, but they dug themselves into a massive hole. Um, the first couple years of Lafleur, it was just inside zone, outside zone, RPOs, and then you know the play action game. I don't know why those elements are now gone. I, I I don't know why those got phased out. That seemed like a pretty good offense to me. I hate third down screens so much. And I guess like if it's like a third and 15 or something and you're just trying to pick up some yardage and maybe you get something to hit right. So be it like, that's fine. Whatever your third and 15s aren't going to convert more often than not anyway, but like a third and seven screen where you're just basically leaving it up to, did they bite on the screen or not? And if they didn't, you're just dead in the water. Like, I hate, there's no like secondary read off of it. It's just like, all right, well, throw it at his feet and like, we're done. Like, I don't know. I just, I hate third and like seven, third and eight screen plays. Get, get them out. I'm all, I'm all out on them. Yeah. All right. You put out a great article already because, you know, even though the defense limited to, you know, what I would consider 14 points, 17 total, but three of those were directly off of a turnover where the defense did a pretty good job of getting them off the field everyone's lasting image. Like if we think back of like, remember that Raiders Packers game five years ago, the lasting image is going to be Devonte Adams covered by Preston Smith. You had a great article out already on exactly what happened on that play, maybe what could have happened differently. So I'll just kind of let you, uh, you know, kind of a plug that article and be kind of go over what happened there. Yeah. It's up on the site um, at Acme packing company. Here's okay. Two things. I have to double barrel this because people are going to tune out if I don't double barrel this. Do it. One, this is not what people want to hear. It did not matter that Preston Smith was the guy in that spot because Devontae Adams was going to get open in that spot no matter what. And it was designed that way. Two, it's Joe Barry's fault. Um, you should have started with number two, by the way. People would have <laughs> tuned out last, and people would have enjoyed it much more if it was Joe Barry's fault and it wouldn't have mattered. But I digress. So you have to start with the coverage here, right? Um, it's three up, three under. And, uh, you know, some of this stuff is going to sound like gibberish, but I'm going to try to explain it the best way possible without having diagrams or something like that. Yep. Um, it's similar to, like, cover three. If you guys think about that, I don't know if you guys played Madden or something like that, seen that diagram at some point. Um, really what cover three is you have post safety in the middle of the field, right? He's going to play the deep middle. And then you have two corners um, that are playing kind of the sidelines, right? And typically you have four underneath defenders. Um, the Packers are sending a five-man blitz instead of a four-man rush. Um, so you have three underneath defenders. That's why, you know, it's called co colloquially, right? Like three up, three under. Um mm -hmm. In that situation, becomes a real pickle 
for that guy playing the middle of the field because that, or, you know, the shallow underneath middle of the field, um, because you go from two of those defenders to just one of those defenders with the blitz. It's not rare for a three, four team to drop an outside linebacker in a coverage. It's the only way to like, quote unquote, play coverage. Um, when you have five guys at the line of scrimmage, right? Um, if you want to rush forward, someone's got to drop. Probably don't want to be one of the interior offensive line or interior defensive linemen, so it's got to be an edge rusher. Um, and if you're making the decision between, hey, do we want Preston Smith or Rashawn Gary rushing the passer as our like one pass rushing threat? Makes a lot more sense to drop Preston Smith in the coverage in that situation, right? Um, here is the issue. Um, and I, I, I talk to more college coaches than I do like guys in the NFL, to be totally honest. But one thing that guys in college have told me is that you can't really run the three up, three under stuff anymore against these spread formations because the windows are just so wide between those flat defenders, right, that are playing the shallows to the sideline. And then that one guy in the middle of the field who's supposed to cover everything basically from numbers to numbers if, you, if you're playing – you know, true, true spread out formation. Right. Um, that's something that you have to do playing condensed formations, which we've talked about before, which is, you know, you know, the, the outside receiver is five yards away from the tackle. Right. That's totally different than if that wide receiver is on the sideline. And what the, uh, the Raiders ended up coming out in was not only a spread formation where, you know, wide receivers are on numbers on, on both sidelines, but it was empty. Um, if you go back and watch that play, Preston Smith is actually playing outside leverage of Devontae Adams. He's supposed to take the flat. I mean, really what he's doing on that play, he's reading number two, right? If we're, we're counting outside in, right? The outside receiver would be number one. The slot receiver would be number two. You know, a guy further in the slot would be number three, right? Um, Preston Smith is reading number two who in this case is Devontae Adams, and he's waiting for him to come into the flat. And if he doesn't go into the flat, he floats to number one, who hopefully is in the flat. If neither of them are in the flat, he's in no man's land, and that's where the coverage, the coverage is designed, right? It's a spot drop zone. Um, once Devontae Adams has an inside breaker, he becomes McDuffie's guy. The problem is McDuffie is playing everything from inside from numbers to numbers at that point. Yeah. McDuffie is in this position where not only is he waiting for Devontae Adams to break inside on the opposite side of the field where they have the trips, right? He's also looking at number two and number three on a breaker. I mean, that's an almost impossible job to have, right? To have eyes on both sides of the defense and say, hey, anyone breaking inside, I have them. And it's this really stretched out area. Um so that's why the Preston Smith stuff didn't matter. Now, is the coverage bad? The coverage isn't a bad coverage in isolation. It's a bad coverage against that formation, right? We, we talked about this already. If they were in a condensed set and those windows are a whole lot smaller and McDuffie doesn't have to play everything in between the numbers, that's totally reasonable to ask for him. Um, they're all spread out right? Someone should have been able to get a check in there. It's not uncommon to get a check on defense, especially for a blitz like that um, against empty. Um, the, the one thing I will say and give Barry maybe 
a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here. At this point in the game, he's got inside linebacker three, inside linebacker four in the game, right? Those are usually the guys who are in charge of that type of stuff, you know, in charge of the checks and stuff like that. Um, and if it's not them, it's the safeties. And we had a backup safety in too. Yep. So I don't know if this is a situation where they didn't have the tools to check out of that structurally as a defense, or if it was uh, they had a guy off the bench and he didn't recognize the formation and didn't check out of it. Um, and that's something where I would like to hear Barry's answer on that. I don't know if they would admit uh, if a player missed a check. I don't know if they would throw that out there to the media. Um, Maybe but- like veiled. They might say like, they might veil it a little bit. I think he's just going to be like, yeah, McDuffie didn't know the call and we screwed it up or something, but he might be <laughs> like, yeah, we have a check in that situation, but you know, we had some guys that aren't used to being in those positions, yada, yada. I think he might veil it a little bit, but I think he'd say it. Yeah. So uh, really what it boils down to, I know, I know it looks goofy that Preston Smith is out there. Preston Smith did his job. I mean, really what happened is they let McDuffie, you know, and hang no out there to dry. Right. I mean, they really let him hang out there dry and gave him kind of an impossible um, assignment to execute. Right. If the pass rush didn't just, you know, rattle Jimmy Garoppolo instantly. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, It's a little bit more of a nuanced play than just a screenshot of Preston Smith lining up on Adams. And again, I don't know if I mentioned this already. He's playing Adams on outside leverage like he he did his job like every if you're looking at it from the perspective of like if you know what three up three under looks like and you look at what they ran against that formation you should know Preston Smith is a flat defender and again I don't want to disparage people and stuff and say um what what was the term I used last week uh it was uh untrained eye right like i don't i don't i don't want to say that um necessarily but like that's there was more nuance in that play um involved than, than just Preston Smith lining up on Devonte Adams it did look goofy um I, I i just think the reason that that play didn't work was the the width of the formation and the fact that they left McDuffie out to dry more so than who was lined up in the slot to play a potential flat route from Devonte Adams. So your understanding, you know, and I think my understanding of this as well is that in a normal situation, you call this exact defense because they, they had, I think a fullback or running back. I think they're in probably what, like 22 personnel. Uh, or sorry, 21. Yeah. I think they were, I, there was definitely a running back. There was definitely a tight end that I couldn't, I can't remember who was the other guy, but I think it was either a tight end or a fullback. So yeah, yeah I mean, you're, you're matching, you're matching their defense. They only had two wide receivers out there. But just because, yeah. I mean, from a play calling perspective, right, they could line up in the I formation, you know, with that personnel. So you're calling yeah. a defense that can deal with that. And then if they line up wide, you just kind of, you know, you play it and you hope you have the matchups that you need. And when Devontae Adams is in the slot, you're like, okay, that might change things a little bit. I mean, really – it's not so much the players and the fact that Devonte Adams was in the slot, even though as much as it was just the width of the formation, like yeah. the width of the formation is really what gave them trouble. 
So in an ideal world, they come out and you know, like they're matching personnel. They you're, you're probably expecting them to do something where it's, you know, like a condensed formation or like just two wide receivers. And so you call the, the cover three defense. Then all of a sudden they go wide, they go five wide. And now you're in a disadvantageous defense. You have to check out of that and be like, all right, we can no longer run this. We've got to run something else. So we don't leave McDuffie out to dry. There's no check on the play which could be theoretically due to LB1, LB2, and safety one not being in the game. The guys that would probably make that check, Campbell, Quay, or Savage, all out of the all out of the game at that point, and they don't check out of it, and you just end up looking like you have your pants on the ground when Preston's there. But it, like you said, I don't know that it would have mattered if that was Deion Sanders in the slot and Ray Lewis, that inside linebacker. I still think Devontae probably is coming open in that wide of his own. So, Yeah, if you, could, if you watch that play, and again, we have – uh, I have the video of the play. I have a couple of diagrams and stuff like that up at APC. If you look at that play and then you look at how big that window is, once you understand like that's kind of the the under DZ zone that they're playing, you're like, oh my God, McDuffie never had a shot at that. No. He, even though, you know, Preston did do like, he did, he did his job. He did what he was supposed to do on paper. It's just that play, do, that coverage doesn't work against that formation because of the width of it and i know that's kind of more of a, a a different way of looking at football i know a lot of people probably haven't thought about coverages and, and the width of formations and what is viable in terms of um you know blitz coverages and stuff like that but that's absolutely what's happening on that play no i mean it's it's fair right? like there's going to be certain plays and certain formations that just beat certain coverages and you're just going to end up in those sort of situations and that's why you need to have a baked in check to make sure that you get out of those looks if it's completely disadvantageous. And that's just the missing piece of the puzzle that we don't have is if like, if there was no check, if they don't have a solution for that, then it's completely, completely on Joe Barry and the defensive coaching staffs to figure that out and make sure that you have a solution for that type of situation. If it's that they had it and they would call it, but you don't have the linebackers and safety in again, it's not a, full like blank check for forgiveness but like you still have to make sure that those guys right. are ready to play but like at least there's a slight slight amount of accident forgiveness in that situation of like we had the check we've coached the check we had guys that in that weren't what you know normally the ones calling it and that's why we ended up with our, our pants down but it just i mean ultimately it has to be better you can't allow that situation you know my solution justice jump off sides, take the five yard penalty, live to see another down. I'll take five yards every single time. I, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm, I'm half joking, half serious, but uh, like if I'm, if I'm Preston Smith and like, we're in that situation, like give me the five yards and we'll live to see another down. But I think it's that. bad than people. I, I saw people clamoring for a timeout in that situation too. And I was like, I don't know guys, like second half at, at some point. Well, not even just the second half, but like how many timeouts do we have? Like if, yeah, we're going to be making mistakes. We're just going to burn through all these things constantly. We're going to run out of timeouts eventually. So I'm, I'm more okay. Why I said second half is I'm more okay with burning through timeouts in the first half. You don't know what the situation or even if you're going to need them at the end of the first half, like in the second half, I hold on to those things like grim death. Like you're not getting me to use a timeout until we absolutely need to, but we can talk about that end game scenario too. I know you like that a lot of how they use the timeouts at the end of the game. Let's do it. Um, that was one of the things that had me, perplexed because it seemed like they were going to go in one direction and they didn't right yeah so like if, if i remember correctly so they use one timeout before the two minute warning but then they don't use on the other down, one the, on first down they use the timeout 
and then they but don't. Second, they didn't. And then they let the clock run, and it gets to what the two minute warning at that point. Uh, I believe so. And then they call the timeout and third down. So really, what it ends up being um, for, for the people who are like, "What the hell are they talking about?" Um, really, what it ends up being is you have t- two options if you your defense was going to get the stop right on that series. Um, one option was you basically get. Uh, you get the ball back at around two minutes and 40 seconds with the two minute warning, or you get yeah. it just yeah. after the two minute warning with a timeout. Yeah. My logic, and maybe I'm the bozo, but like, I, I don't, I know, I know Matt LaFleur has a clock management guy, right? In his ear. He's talked about that already before. Yep. Um, same guy who told him, you know, go for two and uh, some of those situations in the past. Right. Um, my logic is you take the two minute 40 seconds because your offense is going to be able to get lined up for a play faster than the 40 seconds that the Raiders were obviously going to drain off the clock. Cause they just, I mean, if they could have popped the football and let the clock run, they, they would have accepted that. Right. Um, plus you get the warning, which is a pseudo timeout in and of itself. I don't understand why they were operating the entire game around needing that final timeout um, in hand with that offense. It, it doesn't really make sense to me from a clock management standpoint. Now it didn't matter because love threw the pick. Right. Um, but it could have made a difference. Um, you know, if they were driving down the field and they just needed like one, two more plays. Right. Um, I, I, I do think that was a mistake in terms of process. So here's what it was. So they, on second, they have second and two, and they pick up the first down, and they use their first timeout. Then it's first and ten at the forty-two. They lose one yard, no timeout. Second and eleven, they gain five yards, timeout. Yep. Third and six, they gain four yards, no timeout. Um, and then they bring it down to the two-minute warning. So, yeah, that's an interesting decision. I wonder the here's I'm I'm thinking through this in my mind as we're as we're going through this. So there's 235 left and you don't use the timeout and you let it go to the two minute warning. I'm trying to think though of like, all right, so you use the timeout at 235 because they're at the, like they're, they're a yard away from picking up a first down, right? Yep. A yard or two, 235. So if they, they let it go down to the two minute warning, like let's say they call the timeout at 235 and it's fourth and one, and now they go for it and pick it up. Now game is over because you can't stop the clock anymore because you're, you're going to pick up the first down, you get to two minutes and then they pick up the first down. It goes to two minutes. You can't stop the clock anymore. Game is over. So by not calling the timeout, if they go for it on fourth down and they pick it up now, Oh no, now you call timeout. No, it's, it doesn't work either way. No, you're still, you're still screwed either way. So I'm with you. Yeah, I, I mean, about I, I mean, thinking, I was thinking about it in real time. Yeah. I was, I can't remember what my thoughts were exactly, but it felt like, Yep, you were right. You First were right. down equals loss, right? Yeah. So it, to me, it, it didn't really matter. I, I just, I don't get it. I, I don't get why there would ever be a situation um, in that spot. I mean, if there were like 10 seconds left and you needed that final timeout, like it makes a whole lot more sense, especially if you can like get in field goal range, you want to throw something over the middle or something like that. Um to to call a timeout on first and third down, but not second down, 
But in that situation where, you know, you could have potentially still had the warning didn't make, didn't make sense to me. And, you know, that's not something they asked LaFleur about after the game, because obviously, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff going on, but that's something I would like to have him answer this week at some point. That would be nice. Yeah, it, it is a weird scenario because, yeah, you'd rather have the time because you can stop the ball or stop the clock on offense. You can always spike the ball. You can always, like you said, get up to the line of scrimmage, go out of bounds. There's a lot of options and variety of ways to stop the clock. And on defense, there's not. You're just letting 40 seconds tick off. So, yeah, usually you're better yeah. off to take the time out on the defensive side. Yeah, really what it boils down to, again, it's do you want do you want 40 seconds to the two-minute warning or do you want a timeout? And it's like, yeah, yeah obviously you want the 40 seconds because – the offense is going to take the entire 40, you know, the Raiders are going to take the entire 40 seconds if they have the ball. Right. And you, and you offensively, you're going to be able to get lined up in 15 seconds. Right. I mean, that's maybe two, two extra plays that you can be able to get off. I mean, you, t- you take those, you take those. Let's go back to the offense for a little bit. There's two things I want to ask you about. The first one is Matt or sorry, is, is well, we can go Matt LaFleur. That was the first one. The other one is going to be Jordan love. I'll let you go in any direction that you want. Obviously not a, a lot of, um, you know, high praise coming for either Matt LaFleur or Jordan Love coming off of that game. I'm, I, I struggle with a Jordan Love evaluation a little bit because we talked about the offensive line didn't play well. You still can't run the ball. Receivers aren't necessarily coming down with those 50-50 opportunities. There's still a lot that Jordan can clean up in and of himself, but it's really tough to put a full evaluation of a young quarterback when everything around him is also not exactly going to plan. Yeah, and his receivers basically got no production outside of that 77 yarder to Christian Watson too. Yeah. yeah. I I think at halftime it was the three tight ends uh who are leading the team in receiving yards, right? So that's never really what you want to see. Um, especially when one of them is Ben Sims getting his first reception of his NFL career. Shout out to him. Um yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like you know, he's a young quarterback. We're we're gonna see. I mean, I, I know it's not looking good right now. Like we can do the whole trend line thing. I, I you know, one of one of the podcasts I listen to is um it's a college football podcast. Um it, it's called Split Zone Duo. And one of the points that Stephen Godfrey, one of the hosts, makes is like uh, you know, college football is a weird sport because what you're doing is like imagine going to a movie and every 10 minutes in the movie you're giving a review and saying like, is, is this good or not? Right? Like there's still a whole long season. And what we're doing is we're giving those reviews every single 10 minutes. Right. So I understand it's not looking good right now. Um, this is a super young offense and there is the potential of a redemption arc here. Right. Um, you, here, here's the other point too. I'm going to look this up right now um, in terms of cash spending, the Packers offense, is spending $73 million on the offensive side of the ball this year. For perspective, the Baltimore Ravens are spending $170 million in offense this year. The Packers are spending $10 million less than anyone else in the sport just on the offensive side of the ball. And that's not including the fact that uh, the two highest um, earners on the offensive side of the ball are Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari, two guys who aren't on the field. So they're like spending a quarter, maybe a fifth of what the Baltimore Ravens are in terms of cash on the offensive side of the ball. Like it's unreal how far the Packers are in terms of cash spending on the offensive side. So like we kind of knew 
it was there were going to be times like this. It yeah. wasn't always going to be that Chicago Bears that Chicago's Bears game, right? Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not hitting the panic button necessarily and willing to pull the ripcord on Jordan Love when you know what is it like half of his money next year is already guaranteed and stuff like that. Like you, he's going to be your quarterback this year. He overwhelmingly is likely to be your quarterback next year. You got him, let him play. There's going to be growing pains before we figure out whether he's even the guy or not. And that's just the situation we're in. I mean, this is what happens when, you know, we had, what was it? Probably three years of just pushing cap hits forward, pushing cap hits forward, pushing cap hits forward to be able to create that competitive window where, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were going 13 and three or 13 and four every season. So it, it is what it is. Like we're, trying to become cap solvent by the time uh 2025 comes around like this is the world we're living it is very true and then you know kind of same question and oh by the way this is also coming from the guy who was treating drake may takes yesterday i saw those on your twitter feed how to get drake may i'm just kidding i would no i was not being i was telling people we're not getting there guys people don't understand like caleb williams and drake may are going to be thought of so much higher as prospects than any of the quarterbacks last season were and the Carolina Panthers to get to the first overall pick um, traded the ninth overall pick traded the second round pick traded their future first, which might end up being like the first overall pick that might be the Caleb Williams or Drake may selection their second round next year and DJ Moore, who the Packers try to trade their first round pick for, which what it was going to be like the 14th overall pick. So like when you're doing the math on like what what is the cost to get up for a Bryce Young? It really was three borderline top 10 picks and two second round picks. Drake May and Caleb Williams are going to be valued at higher than that. The Packers already have two wins. There's probably not going to be a scenario especially if the Chicago Bears, you know, I mean if they play poorly enough to land one of those high picks or, um, you know, they own the Carolina Panthers pick, you think they're going to give Green Bay a quarterback? No. The, Vi- the Vikings are terrible too right now, and Justin Jefferson just went on IR. Do you think they're going to give Green Bay a quarterback? No. no. So, like, guys, get it out of your head that it's going to be May or Caleb Boyd. Like, a, a savior is not walking through the door. You got Jordan Love at quarterback right now. Go win football games with him. Figure it out. Totally with you. A million percent with you. And then, like I said, the other one I wanted to ask about is, is Matt LaFleur, because you can see that uh, a little bit of the shine has come off over the last season and a half. And people are a lot more frustrated, I think, with Matt LaFleur than they probably ever have been in the past. Um, It's been a struggle. And what are you kind of seeing from a coaching standpoint that maybe could be done differently? Or do you think this is less coaching, more talents? Like, where are you at with everything? Um, I mean, obviously he has young guys. Uh, one of the plays that stands out to me in terms of like, if you're going to give the offense a little bit of lenience from like a play calling or designing or whatever perspective, like that last drive, um, Packers ran a mesh play, right? Which is, you know, two underneath crossers coming off of opposite sides of the field. So you're getting, you know, rub routes on, you know, guys just basically passing each other, right? And then you have a spot route over the ball on top of that. Um, and usually what that play ends up doing is you're really constricting and then expanding the zones on that defense on that, you know, those underneath uh, coverages. 
Um, and then if they get man coverage, you're just throwing the guys on a crosser on a natural pick play, right? Yeah. Um, what they teach those shallows though is if it's against zone and you know you're butt naked wide open, you settle up, right? You just settle up into a zone. What happens is both of the crossers end up settling up, and you know, the spot route is there too. So it's just three guys standing there in the middle of the field, none of them are open. Jordan Love is like what what the hell are we doing right and that's a situation where i think they had to use the timeout already um he couldn't have taken a sack and he just ends up you know throwing a, a ball over the head of patrick taylor because he's getting pressured too so he can't escape a pocket um so he's, he just throws it out of bounds in the vicinity of patrick taylor so that he doesn't get an intentional um yep. grounding or something like that penalty um that's one where it's like, okay, that's on the players. And it came in a crucial moment. And you could tell if you watch that play again, it's on that last drive. Um, Jordan Love is like, what What the hell was that? Right? Like, I'm certain they didn't practice it like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then the thing that is frustrating, though, I mean, LaFleur was pretty clearly sad, <laughs> like disappointed in the team um, in the press conference after the game. And, his tone was really – I think he even said it multiple times. Like, we we, we just got to get something going. Um, getting under center and running vertical runs worked. The RPOs that you called twice during the game worked. If we could identify that that's something that you should have been doing, why, why didn't you think so? And I, and I know that's a whole lot of armchair – coaching armchair whatever um but like why it, it, it would be different if that's not what the offense was completely comprised of the entire the first three seasons of the floor like why are you getting away from that that stuff that stuff works that's what the offense has looked best at this season like why aren't why aren't you leaning into that why does it always have to be shot play screens um tosses right pin and pull counter that's, that stuff is the stuff that isn't working. And I know that stuff's the new stuff. So maybe you want to call the new stuff. But like the old the old stuff is what's working. Go to the old stuff. There's no shame in that. I cannot. Well, I don't know if I'll say that. But like it does feel like a little bit of the Aaron Rodgers last year of like we need to simplify the offense is where we need to go is kind of where we're at right now of like we don't need to get more complicated. We need to get more simplistic and figure out what we do well and run what we do well to your point of like running more of the vertical run sets, running more of the RPOs and just like find something you do well and do that and then expand. But it feels like you almost need to contract first, find out what it is you do well, run that may master that and then expand off of that. It it just doesn't feel like they have that baseline of what they want to do. And it just feels like, I don't know. It almost feels at times like he's just kind of like, what are the cool plays that we could run and let's run the cool plays rather than having a a system that's based upon what has worked in the past and how you can catch players off or teams off guard and then run things off. I don't know. I'm, I'm all over the place justice, but it just feels like it needs to be maybe a little bit different, a little less complex. Yeah. There were a couple of people in my mentions yesterday during the game that basically said like, uh, you know, LaFleur saw Shanahan run all these gap scheme plays where they're they're pulling guards and stuff like that. And he wanted to he wanted to run it so that he stays in the cool guy club. I was like, yeah, that kind of feels like 
you know, what he's been doing. The pin and pull stuff worked last year. The counter stuff right now is, is not working. It's not working. No. And that's a lot of the real heavy shot plays that are taken is off of counter action, right? Like that's um, the Max Crosby sack, right? Where he had to work through two tight ends and the running back. Um, yep. That was that play. So, yeah, I mean. Didn't look like any run stretch, run boot. I haven't looked at the L22 yet, but it didn't look like anyone was open on that play, even if it was blocked up anyway, at least at first glance. But yeah, three guys on Max Crosby now, like you said, two tight ends and a running back, but still that dude looks better on paper than in function. The other thing too is, you know, that was one of the frustrating things, you know, all, all you had to do was really game plan around Max Crosby, right? I mean, they called up two practice squad corners. You should have been able to get something going in the passing game, but Max Crosby blows stuff up. And then, and they seem to have a pass rush plan for him. But in the run game, it was a whole lot of single blocks with tight ends on him. I mean, he blew up two of them, the Tucker Craft uh, zone slice play. He blows up at, you know, the backside block. And then um, there's that Luke Musgrave. He has him one-on-one on a down block. And Luke Musgrave just doesn't doesn't get across his face. And that's, that's going to lead to penetration against a guy as good as Max Crosby. So um, they probably should have had a better plan for him in the run game they were at least trying to compensate for it in the passing game. Yeah. No, the, the one with Tucker craft coming across. Oh, like that's one I tweeted at Mike wall. Cause he always like, yeah, it looks good on paper. I'm sure, I'm sure that block was executed. Awesome on, on the chalkboard, but Tucker craft yeah. coming across on Max Crosby, not going to work too often before I let you go. I got to ask you, how did it feel to see the Yash Nyman blocked kick? Were you, did you feel alive in that moment? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, they're trying for blocks all night. I don't know if you saw them on punt team um, or, you know, they're on punt return, but that's the reason Jaden Reed was fair catching everything. They were trying to block it every single time that they were back there punting. Um, Josh Iman busting his ass off. Shouts to him. Give him a little gold star. I mean, he's got to get something right. He's making $4 million to sit on the bench right now. So yeah, go have him go out there and, and block kicks wanting that ball like a cat. So it's worth at least a half mil, right? A blocked kick. That's like you're paying for some of your Gotta contract. Be. Yeah. I think so. A few more of those and he can still make up his $4 million contract. Justice, you're absolutely amazing. Thanks so much for joining me every Tuesday. Love doing these co-branded Pack-A-Day podcast and Acme Packing Company shows. Where can we find your awesome work and uh, plug anything you want to plug? Yeah, acmepackingcompany.com. Um, again, the big one that we have on the site right now is that Devontae Preston Smith play. Um, if you guys want to go check that out. You know, share it with friends because I'm sure a lot of people were like, why? Why why does this happen? You know, the screenshot meme thing. Um, there's a little bit more nuance in the play, but yeah, it is it is you know ultimately Barry's fault. And uh go go and watch that play and try to put your mind in uh the the shoes of Isaiah McDuffie and you're like, Oh my god, he never had a shot. No. He never had a shot. Not at all. Uh, I liked your immediate reaction to of like, oh my God, I'm never going to hear the end of this or whatever you tweeted out of like, that it's was impossible. It's going to be impossible. It's going to be the Jefferson screenshot of pressing and, you know, on him. And then it's going to be the Devonte one. I mean, those are never, ever going to die. And those might be, you know, I mean, to your point, you, you mentioned it, right? Like that might be the lasting legacy. That might be one of the things that are going to linger when you th- think back of, you know, Joe Barry and green Bay, you know, those two screenshots are going to do a whole lot of work there. 
Yeah, I, I, I saw Samich post it on uh, Twitter. I don't know if she wrote the article or somebody wrote the article of like, I think it was her, but uh, of like, we were all excited about Jair versus Devante. And then I think she wrote beforehand of like, but then again, we might just end up seeing Preston yeah. Smith matched up on Devante and just chef kiss perfect. Justice is the best. Follow him on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go and go Yash Nyman.